Right, okay, this is going to be episode nine of Music and More, and um, we're really excited today to have uh, Phil Jordan on. Obviously, the music drummer extraordinaire, of course, as you all know. So yeah, like like you know, we had Stu on, and it was really great, to, especially for like for Pete more than anything. I think Pete really buzzes off talking to the rest of the lads in the band. You know what I mean? He's been talking to me for ages now. The novelty's worn off, um, talking to me. So it's nice to bring in everyone else. So we've had Stu. So it's really really nice to talk to Phil tonight. So Phil, if you just want to say a quick hello. Yes, uh, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Nice to finally meet you as well, Pete. Yeah, yeah oh, what is it with everyone nice fan personally over Pete? You know, everyone <laughs> loves Pete, honestly. Well, you know what it is for me is um, it, it lends a air of professionalism, not to, <laughs> <laughs> not to detract from me, do you any disservice. But like a lot of podcasts that I listen to had like a, an American narrator, and so this it makes it uh, feel more legit. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really, really good to have you on, Phil. And um, as usual with this sort of thing, I like to let Pete's natural enthusiasm and interest in things sort of guide us really in what we're going to talk about. So, I mean, on that note, I'm going to hand over to Pete and um, see where Pete wants to start with it all, getting, you know, talking to Phil. So Pete, off you go. Thanks, man. Well, uh, well, now that you've made me to be like some massive fanboy, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I like the music. And yeah, Phil, I will say thanks. Uh, thanks for all the good music over the years, man. I've always been a big fan and uh, enjoy what you guys do. So yeah, I've got a couple of questions. Uh, I don't know if you heard the Stu episode, but very similar. I'm, I definitely think it would be cool to talk about musical influences in, in general. Like mm. uh, I've always had the opinion that, you know, four guys make this band, but they're all very different, you know, like different styles. You know, we, we've talked to Stu who's you know, got this, you know, he and I have very similar backgrounds with music, you know, like lots of uh, Queens of the Stone Age, lots of Foo Fighters, et cetera. And, uh, you know, Adam has a slightly different uh, background, musical influences. But the music to me has always been so different. And probably the cool thing about it is the different, man, the funk that gets thrown into the music, the the dance beat that gets thrown into, you know, the contrast of this great rock guitar, but then also this great voice by Rob and then the bass. It just all comes together. And so I've always, maybe I'm wrong and you can correct me, but I've always assumed that that dance beat of it comes from, you know, comes from your influences. Is that fair to say? Um, initially, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was probably the one that brought that element and introduced a lot of them to dance music. Um, I think it is quite easy to say, you know, like I was doing the dance music and Stu was bringing the sort of heavier element. And I think initially it might have been that, but eventually over time it was mixing things up, you know, like the more sort of experimental, like Mogwai sound side of it. Like I liked doing that as well. So I, I was given the space in order to explore my vast interest in music. You know, yeah. I'm not just interested in music, uh, in dance music. And it gave me the opportunity to try and do all those different sides. And it was the same with everybody else. Mm. So I think that's why it worked that we could, from one song to the next, try out different things. It wasn't oh, yeah. like a linear, like all the songs had a dance beat under it. It was something where we got that opportunity to do a Mogwai kind of song and then do a, you know, sort of a dance song and then do a sort of Led Zeppelin song and we could all interplay with each other. We were different musical tastes, but they all work together no matter what ways we sort of put them together. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm very similar in that sense. I mean, one day I'll be listening to Nirvana. The next day I might be listening to Chemical Brothers. Mm. Uh, I might be listening to some hip hop. Like there's my musical taste, with the exception of country, is pretty wide. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, so that's definitely, um, I, I can totally get that. There's a big part of dance element that comes into mm. it, but then there's a lot of great just straight up rock songs. And uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah. especially sort of from my point of view as well, what I'd never really explored that side of music, Phil brought all kinds of different stuff, um, you know, like it, stuff like Hendrix as well, uh, Jimi Hendrix experience and the Doors and stuff like that. But even like for dance music, especially, um, it was certain, you know, I'd never really listened to it before I sort of met Phil. Phil definitely got me into that but he's writing what he says in that as soon as we all kind of got into what we were doing it sort of naturally just crept into stuff that we wanted to listen to anyway but you guys started with the dance right that was the first song you ever made i'm pretty sure it was yeah it was literally the first thing we ever did we barely said a word to each other we all plugged in and that was the first thing that happened okay so phil you hear this guitar that just like stretches and floats through the room for the beginning of dance and then you're like Okay, I hear that, and I'm going to hit this with it. Boom, and you just start doing that dance beat. Like, that's the part that's to me is like, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I easily could make it sort of like a folklore thing, and it is, it is a big moment, in, you know, obviously, in my life. Um, loads went into, I, I can't remember who did that first, whether it was, it probably was the guitar line that came in first, and then, like, that's me then trying to almost meet the... Not aggression, but trying to show off, I suppose, and trying to show my talent at the same time. That's what a lot of it was, was like us all competing, whether it was loudness or skill or whatever it was. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And I remember playing that riff and watching you and then you just come, you came in with that beat. Do you know what I mean? And I still think like, it's still, I think, one of your, like your coolest beats if you know what I mean but I don't know whether that's literally because it's the first thing that I heard you sort of play and it was so different for me in the same way that sort of Rob's voice coming in would have been different for people to hear obviously not for me because I'd heard it but like hearing that drum beat come in we're just like what do you know what I mean but in 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 a really amazing way because like you say to sort of match the a sort of well you it, it felt really aggressive what you were doing in a really cool way do you know what i mean i, I absolutely loved it and i i hold those sort of same sort of folklore you know memories about it myself to be honest yeah i mean there, there was a lot of aggression in it i was an angry kid at that point and i think like a big part of that for me was like because i felt like i was the more experienced musician and I'd, I think Robert told me in advance that you'd been playing for like six months or something at that point. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think it was three, actually, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even better. Yeah. <laughs> and to like hear that straight away, I knew I had to step my game up and be like, okay, well, like this is an amazing riff straight away. Like this isn't what I was expecting. I have to show something different myself. I can't go in there and play an Oasis drum beat over that kind of riff. Yeah. Right. So I had to yeah. try and showcase some of my uniqueness. And that's, you know, like, at that point, I was heavily into drum and bass, and I was like, I can do drum and bass on a drum kit. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially what I was trying to do. So that's interesting because, yeah, I, I do remember hearing that the other three band members were went to one high school, and you went to a different high school. Is that right? Yeah. And and so who brought you in? Who Rob brought you in, or how did that work out? Yeah, so um, I was in a band with Rob before. And it was, you know, we were playing covers and ah. um, it was going down the, the road of being uh, like a wedding band or something like that, you know, like pretty good. But there was there was nothing original being written, whereas we wanted to make something a little bit, bit more experimental. Like, I, I can't really remember this. Adam's got a much better memory than me. Um, in my mind, it was that Rob, me and Rob left that knowing that we were going to do something else. And he said to me, well, I've got these other two guys should we try working with them? And that was literally like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. I mean, I'd been in loads of bands. I've done that so many times. Never had that experience that we had in that pub when I met them two. 
you know, that was instantly like, okay, well, 30 seconds in, this is different. Mm. Yeah, it was it essentially Rob's the glue between us because I used yeah. to um, be in a band with him before. Yeah. Nice. And so that's the first time you guys actually met was, uh, you know, drumstick in hand? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah I mean, we barely said a word, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We bumped it. I think we bumped into each other once at Rob's house for like five minutes um, uh, a while before. But that no, that was like the proper the first proper meeting was um above I can't remember the pub. Is it the tree? Can't remember. It was commercial. Oh commercial above the commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, I mean loads of those practices in the early days, we barely spoke to each other. Like it was such few words, especially about the songs. Yeah. I find that so fascinating because it's like you would think that when you're creating music, there'd be a lot of communication. It'd be like, I like that, but slow it down or do this or can we try this or but it, to just not talk and to just evolve and then, then create stuff to me seems like I, I can't even imagine how that would work. Well, I mean, I suppose it, like Phil says, because there was an element of sort of competition in there. Do you know what I mean? It was, I don't know, I'm starting to wonder now if that's what sort of, because I mean, Stu said a very similar thing, really, didn't he? I wonder if that's what sort of drove that no speaking thing if you know what i mean because it's like no one i don't know showing a hand or something like that i don't know i don't know yeah. how it worked um or have any sort of words for it other than uh, but it worked didn't it phil i mean for years and years it yeah. worked like that just i mean disco being a great example of it you know we never sat down and thought oh it's going to go faster at this bit it just happened in one jam that phil started to speed up and we were so like you know if you sit and listen to phil and Stu play together how much they sort of feed off each other and the, you know the sort of telepathic and i play i sort of come into that as well so when you're playing when you play together as a band that much you can you can do stuff like that and it doesn't need any uh and because the other thing as well is we never had any um we never wrote songs in inverted commas or very very rarely so there was never anything to sort of sit down and shape if you know what i mean until you get right to the studio level where you're just about to record it and you maybe switch a few things around structure wise but other than that it's not like sitting down with the blueprint of a song and going right you know we're gonna wrap somewhere around this that's cool you know we just created sounds and rob went wild over it do you know what i mean it's a really good point um because we used to go to gigs with like what half a verse half a chorus we knew these two sections and then we'd make it up for six minutes yeah. like it, 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 there was no structure at all we'd just wow. feed off each other feed off the audience they were so improvised with those early gigs yeah. the songs only really took a shape when we recorded them when we had to sit down and say this is a structure. Yeah. This is how it's going to have to be played a few times. And I, I think that that's part of it was we were quite prolific and able to work around those kind of riffs and sections that really it only got repeated once all four of us were on the same page. Mm. When, when all of us knew like, yeah, this is good. Like we just knew it was good. We didn't need to say it was good. We all just kept repeating the same bits. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Like I think a lot just went in the bin if one of us didn't really vibe on it. So once all four of us were, were vibing on it, it was in and we kept it. Yeah. And how often did it, uh, you know, what was the ratio? Was it just how long would it take to create something that all four were like, yeah, that's good? Mm. It's difficult to sort of think about that really, isn't it? I mean, um, some stuff came really quick. You know, like, well, take the dance, for example. It's rooted around that guitar riff and then that drum beat and obviously bass line. And that was together in minutes. Do you know what I mean? So... But I mean, as Phil, if you think about, if you try and think about something like disco, I mean, it, I, I wonder how long that took us to to shape. Do you know what I mean? Because it could have been could have been quite a few months playing that over and over again in Soundworks until it developed that. Do you know what I mean? Or do you think it was shorter than that? It's hard to know. It's hard to remember that level of detail. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. It could have been one practice. It could have been hundreds. I just yeah, it could. No idea. Nice. I mean, like Phil says, there was never any word spoken, but you knew when someone were good because, again, <laughs> as Phil says, everyone just were playing it, and if so, someone would start putting someone else in, if they you know weren't feeling it as much, but it was always a buzz when you sort of looked at each other as if to say, "Oh, this is good, isn't it?" Do you know what I mean? And then Rob would start doing something, and I usually always look straight to Phil as if to say, "Oh, that's good. Do you like that? I like that." And you know, them moments were always like. They were amazing, and I suppose like it, they're moments that you 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 might have possibly I might have possibly as well t- sort of taken for granted. You know what I mean? When you get to this point in life and you've done other things and stuff, um, you know that how special it is to play with other musicians and just be able to come up with stuff like that. And like Tim sort of said when he was on, because we were so young and never done it before, really, you just you just assume that's how it happens, don't you? Yeah, I certainly did. It felt so organic for us. I mean, I've been in plenty of bands and it was just nothing like that experience. Mm. Um, so yeah, you I said think... you were the most experienced. Did you have any training as a drummer or were you self-taught like Adam? Oh, no, I'd been playing since I was about 13. And like when you're sort of young and around our way and you've got a drum kit, you're kind of in demand. Like, so you can <laughs> be in as many bands as you want. And I just wanted to be in so many different bands, you know, like, yeah. because I, I, you know, I wanted to be in Nirvana, but I also wanted to be in Oasis. And then later on, I wanted to be in the Chemical Brothers. And like, I wanted to be in all these different kind of bands. But the music gave me the opportunity to do a song like Chemical Brothers and do a song like Nirvana oh, yeah. and, you know, to try it from song to song rather than be having to have a full band that was like that. Nice. So obviously Nirvana being one of your influences. What about drummers? Obviously Dave Grohl, amazing drummer, but uh, what would you say are some of your bigger drummer influences? Um, I mean, Dave Grohl's the one for me. You know, Nirvana's the reason I really got into music properly. And, you know, he's he's the kind of drummer that I like. It's heavy, but also it's got movement to it. Um, but early on, you know, it was like um, Mitch Mitchell from Jimi Hendrix yeah. experience. Um, but really on like the, the biggest influence for me was moving on from that and getting into sort of breakbeat and that, you know, big beat was pretty big at the time. And that was taking all these sort of older elements of, you know, sampling drum beats and bringing it into dance music. And that was my in to dance music, you know, like Daft Punk, Fatboy oh, yeah. Slim, those sort of bands that were big and crossed over into the mainstream. Mm. I was like, oh, that's something different. And from there, like you just down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, the doors as well. I mean, there was all sorts of stuff that you brought to the table that I'd, I'd just never even been anywhere near. You know what I mean? Stuff like the doors and Hendrix experience. And I think there's quite a lot of that in your playing as well at times, um, which, you know, I absolutely love, definitely. I mean, that's the thing that you always stand out for is the fact that, you you know, you well, I suppose all of us really, none of us are what you would call generic musicians, are we? I mean, Rob's voice is, mm. you know, is what it is. And every one of us are sort of, unconventional in the way that we do things and i suppose that goes to further reinforce the point of the sort of melting pot that it became you know what i mean creatively especially and especially when you bring in that sort of competitive element as well um and also the fact that especially at that stage phil wouldn't you agree that there was no i think you should do that you know everyone did whatever they wanted to do you know what i mean oh yeah yeah there was very little sort of daring to tell each other you know you'd played your bit and if you weren't happy with their bit it was just like you needed to do something different to fit around it i mean there was so much of that that silent interplay i will say silent obviously just non-verbal interplay while we were playing do you know what i mean like trying to take an idea in a different direction i mean you know some of those dat tapes because we used to record everything some of those dat tapes must sound like 
really funny like and some of them really interesting and amazing and then there'll just be times where like the guitar will stop because i put my guitar down and walked out or the bass will stop because stew's disappeared or something like that do you know <laughs> but that was that was um sort of part of it was um but yeah i mean i i i, I agree with you pete that uh, well in your assumption that a lot of the funk and that element comes from you know what Phil were doing you know like truth you know what I mean that I, 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 I don't even need to remember I just know I love wrap that riff around your drum beat you know what I mean you can sort of just hear it or you know what I mean and that's that's always what 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 I loved about our jamming sessions anyway yeah me too it would be finding those little bits of magic where like two or three of us linked and then it would be a case of right well let's play this for two hours yeah and you know we'll have the main bit and then we'll just try going somewhere else and then come back to that bit and then go somewhere else and then bring it back to this bit and eventually one of those bits that end up being the verse mm. like and that's all we did you know i just we sort of experimentally went somewhere else and then brought it back to what worked mm -hmm. that's really how we structured a lot of songs yeah yeah definitely but i also remember as well phil like there'd always been not so much of a push pull but i sort of remember back in day you'd very much be like well you know like stuff like too high do you know what i mean or lots of the little bits of musical drama in our stuff is driven by you do you know what i mean in the sense that you know i'm gonna try to piss everyone off by making this drum roll last eight minutes or something like that do you know what i mean <laughs> or like you know sort of like well you know this should naturally kick in here but why don't we delay it like half a beat then kick it in do you know what i mean so it really annoys people <laughs> just that element i used to love that attitude i have to say well, I mean, for me, it's I, I prefer to describe it as teasing <laughs> and playing with people's expectations. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think early early on it was, you know, like a lot of the structures were sort of led by me sort of doing that sort of teasing anticipation. A lot of that comes from dance music. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's about sort of building up an anticipation That's it, yeah. and oh, yeah. then letting it release. Yeah. Or Waiting like, for the drop. <laughs> I, I like to play with people, you know, I like to like loud quiet that i learned from nirvana we do that quite often yeah. you know it'd be a sudden shift in dynamic yeah. or it'd be stuff from pink floyd and mogwai where it'd be long soundscapes that we'd work on together mm. but then there'd be drops you know like builds like you get in the middle eight of a dance music that kind of thing yeah. certainly like the two-eyed snare roll that comes from like old house music you know like just yeah. a build like yeah that. yeah but that but then it goes you know you've got house elements and then it just goes nuts too high. i mean that's just an example there's plenty of them there's plenty of examples um but yeah so I many just, different structures yeah that's it so many different structures and like phil says i mean you know even like now subconsciously when i'm doing summer even now on pro tools you know every middle eight for me is just a drop do you know what i mean and that's probably phil's fault do you know what i mean like <laughs> i always come at it from that like phil says that that building anticipation that build and release and you know that that does it it plays is a massive factor in a lot of our tunes and i don't know I, I, you know because there is that drama in there you know is that a reason we connect so much live as well i don't know do you know what i mean but it's um it certainly it, it separated us from everything else do you know what i mean if we'd have just gone into that room with you know a drummer who would just had, well had no creativity you know things would have never been the same obviously but you know you know the point i'm making yeah. anyway yeah yeah i think it is driven by live because we were playtesting all these live yeah and i was watching the crowd and seeing like right now they're ready i'll push it a little bit further now i'll release like and the, the drama of the songs really is because i like a kind of song that takes four minutes to get to the point you know <laughs> yeah like, yeah absolutely it, a, a song like truth or getaway like they're, they're good songs but i'm building to something at the end mm. you know that the, the last chorus is 
where I'm really going for it. The rest yeah. of it is, you know, you start to the main song. Getaway's a perfect example. Another one for me, which is probably, we don't hear, we don't talk about much, but is uh, Fight the Feeling. Uh, I just love the end of that song. Like, and, 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 it's, and it's mainly because of the drums. You know, like it just at the very end, it just becomes this like explosion like this and a slower beat. And it just the song just swells towards the end of that song. And uh, and I to me, it's all about the drums on that song that make that song. So like it's almost emotional like, at the end of the song. You just feel like like a release. It's like, oh, yeah, this song was building up. And then, boom, there's the end where it just like the drum slows and it's bigger. I don't know. Is that very intentional or? Completely intentional. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm really proud of that song. Um, part of it is just like the child in me that um likes to try and show off and you know there's a time signature change in there and I, it makes me seem really smart and i, I <laughs> like that kind of thing um I, i'm really proud of my symbol work on that i, I yeah. build up to that a lot but that's a really subtle thing that probably a lot of people won't notice but the main thing is that crescendo i love a crescendo yeah, like i too. love building to a point to get people really at the heart of what i like doing which is why i like dance, dance music is i like to uh manipulate people's emotions so whether that's a quick shift in something or whether it's a slow build into something i like to mainly i like to make people dance but i also like to just build some emotion in people as well yeah man most of the song structures that i do are like that they're either building to a point or there's a slow build to a crescendo mm. i mean it's, 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 it's almost got like a formal beat to it and it fight the feeling is it like would you call it like a waltz or something like that especially at the beginning do you know what i mean it's almost got like i don't know but it's you know it's just different again and like you say it showcases uh like the technical side of things you know what i mean and not technically in like a muso way but just in like a a high level creative way do you know what i mean which i think you know all of we all add musically definitely yeah, I mean, this is quite muso talk. You know, we are getting deep into. <laughs> well, you know, like anyone who's listening to this podcast is going to expect expect an element of uh, of this sort of thing, and it's something we can elaborate on more uh, on different episodes where. Uh, you know talking about making records and stuff and approach you know it's not for everyone but a lot of people are interested in that sort of thing but i mean you know there's there's all sorts of things we can talk about now so i'm gonna just let pete guide it for a bit i've got some questions as well some specific questions but for now i'm gonna let pete carry on with this <laughs> yeah let's talk more drums let's talk about how you do a lot of 16th in the hi-hat is that something <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> uh, let's talk about pearl drum kits no i'm kidding um no, the uh, I, I would love to talk more about songs. I'm not a musician. I just love music, and I and I can appreciate when things change, like like we talked about with "Fight the Feeling" and all that stuff. But another drum song that I really appreciate, which I don't know why, I just know it sounds good, is "Bleed." Mm. Like that's another song that to me is like a drum masterpiece. Like it sounds so good, but I don't really understand all of the mechanics behind it. But it's a it's a really really good song. Um, well, thanks. Um, I mean, the main beat and a lot of these kind of things, like probably fight the feeling as well. It's just me not being very good at music, trying to do a different style. So like being influenced by like samba and stuff like that, me trying to do it in my roundabout way. It's the same with the dance. Like it's me with a drum kit. I don't have an electronic kit. Me trying to do drum and bass. Mm. It's a bit wonky and it goes off target, but because it's me, it lands as something unique. Yeah. So bleed is me trying to do some Latin influence. Fight the feeling is me trying to, you know, I don't know, try to do waltz or whatever it was. Mm. I can't remember what I was trying to do. And it's me just trying to do something different 
and getting it slightly wrong, but it works because it comes through my filter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's character, isn't it? It's just, it's it's all character and stuff like that. It's characters that you're playing and, um, yeah, definitely. It's what, you know, it's what separates uh, just a drummer from a, you know, a creative musician drummer. Do you know what I mean? But that's that's what blew my mind as well. When you started playing that drum and bass beat, uh, do you know what I mean? I would a bit like, well, can you do that on drums? Does that work? I mean, he's, he's clearly doing it. I'm watching him doing it, but d- don't that need to be electronic? But so that that's <laughs> that's a skill in itself. Um, you know, dynamics, like say building up a song and, but only having sort of, you know, just a drum kit. Do you know what I mean? Instead of like, well, I program this in here and that in there and chop this and a bit of reverse this, you know, you've just got a, a drum kit there. And I think that adds a, another massive uh, creative element. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, you know, like we, yeah, it was a case of, don't you need electronics to do this? Maybe we should do that. I don't know. I spent two grand on an electronic drum kit like fairly early on because it was like, okay, we should probably make this electronic because that's what I'm trying to do. And well, we, we had it a couple of months and somebody nicked it and we just thought, we'll never go somebody back stole to that. It? <laughs> somebody yeah. really stole it? Oh, that sucks. We lost quite yeah. a few bits down that studio. Um, so yeah, like it was just something that I just never really went down that route. It was like, well, it's kind of working on a normal drum kit. It gives it the character we're talking about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, in a, I guess in a way, I'm kind of glad they nicked it then. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you ended up making use because yeah, to me, the drums always sound more authentic. You know, I've, I've told Adam this before, but like, I, I don't mind, a, you know, uh, electronic drums. I do like them and certain songs really, it makes sense, but there's definitely a, a level of quality that I hear when, it, when it's just really real drums i mean you just hear it i don't know i can't explain it i suppose it's a different it's it's conveying emotion but in a slightly different way in it you know what i mean you've got a lot more you know phil's in control of how hard he smacks it and that were always something like whether uh, you know if i ever if phil went around when the line check was happening on the kit and someone would go just hit the kick drum you sit down and you're hitting this kick drum and they're like harder and you're like hitting it harder (laughs) and they're like look just wait for phil and you're like, what? I mean, I'm not hitting it hard enough. For God's sake, what's he do with it? Yeah, my, my knee is not thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, heck, my favorite video for the music is, uh, the, the I think it was Big Day 2003. Big day and you guys out, yeah. are doing The Walls Get Smaller. And <laughs> Phil is like covered in sweat. And, and uh, it, you guys were just... The, the song was great. It's probably the best version I've heard of that song. Yeah. And um, you guys just nailed it. But it, but really, the star of that one was Phil because he was just the drums were just intense. And then you could just see him like, you know, and Rob turns around and he's like staring at you. And it almost, it's almost like he's like speeding it up a little bit while he's playing his part. And you're you're over there just going nuts on the drums. And at the very end, you just throw the stick in the air, get up, almost knock the cymbal down to get out of the way. You grabbed your water bottle, completely exhausted. I was like, this guy is working his ass off to make this song good (laughs) (laughs) thanks i mean that anger at the end that could have been anything it could be (laughs) it was really hot i don't deal well with heat that could have made me angry i could have made a mistake i hate making mistakes when i'm playing drums that gets me angry it could have been i couldn't hear somebody properly it could have been a cameraman got too close to my face i didn't (laughs) it could be anything or i just worked myself up especially a song like walls i just worked myself up into a state yeah and yeah i just yeah i would just lash out sometimes with that i'm just like in the mode of hitting things and putting emotion into the hitting things and then i stop a song and i just it's still there to yeah well i mean it must drum. it must take a lot to build yourself up to end of that song do you know what i mean and even when we practiced the other week and you got to end the walls and that way it just goes and it was like oh, you know that is mental and it, like you said there must be an element of right here we go i need to build up to this now because it's going to knack me out <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I work on adrenaline a lot of the time. I'm not the fittest of people and I work, rely on adrenaline to get me through a lot of it. And mm. that means I've got to get into a state of mind. Yeah. And that, yeah. Was that something you had to do when you guys toured a lot? Did you uh, yeah, <laughs> light I think on the... Our, our early gigs were just insane, weren't they, Phil? I mean, in them little rooms, the first three tours we did where we did the North, the Midlands and the South, I mean, probably like, I don't know, 10 gigs in each of them or something, maybe 12. Uh, they, they were just, they were tiny, they were hot, sweaty and insane. Do you know what I mean? We're not we're not stood up there playing ballads and stuff, are we? Do you know what I mean? Every one of us, like Phil says, we're all conveying some form of aggression, some form of emotion, you know, competition between us cells it's almost just it's almost like a, a perfect storm of creativity and like phil says that running off adrenaline that's certainly true with me as well you know what i mean you know sort of in them early days when going through the changes that we went through i mean sometimes you don't eat and stuff like that and your body's just like yeah i don't care do you know what i mean like you're on stage you don't think about stuff like that you could have not slept for like three days and you know you hear that intro and you get up on stage and you know that you don't have to rely on anything you know you're going to get through it just on adrenaline definitely one thing one thing I would like to ask about is your memories of the Edinburgh gig when you had the chap on your lap. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'm from Yorkshire, that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard you talking about that, actually, yeah, and I definitely remember it happening. The, the thing that amazed me with it, because I just had my head down, like most of the time, head down, I'm not really looking. I'm just in whatever zone I'm in. Um, it, it cleared the whole kit, didn't touch a single thing on the drum kit. And he was enormous. He was enormous. Was a yeah, blow. I mean, he, he literally landed on my lap like I was Santa. Oh, my goodness. Like, cleared the snare drum just on my lap. Um, I, I, I don't know how he did it. But <laughs> it yeah. I remember, I just remember seeing him put his foot on the stage. Uh, in them very early gigs, like, you know, the stage was a couple of inches high sometimes, you, could, you know, and there was no security. Um, I don't think there was any security at some of them. But anyway, the, you could just literally step up on stage and this bloke stepped up and just you know, just dived on Phil. Like I said, he had his head down. It was just Phil's reaction just creased me up. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, it, the surprise, because, you know, I suppose you're quite vulnerable when you're on stage. Well, I suppose you, you're very vulnerable when you're on stage. And when you're that into something and something like that happens, it takes a while for your brain to adjust to it. I mean, like, you know, when I talked about getting hit by the jar of jam in the throat, do you know what I mean? <laughs> there's, there's a couple of seconds where you're just like, oh, what's happened there? Yeah, I mean, you say you're vulnerable. I've got a drum kit in front of me. I've, I'm pretty safe at the back of a stage. Yeah, <laughs> the only things good. I've really ever had to contend with are things being thrown at me. Mm. And, like, people is not something I've ever had to yeah. worry about. I've always had <laughs> something there to block them off, but not that guy. No, he was not the high jumper from Edinburgh. Wow, that's insane. That was one of Stu's better memories. Uh, um, what were some of your uh, early day memories of yeah, when you guys were touring? Like the general feeling early on was just us sort of having quite a lot of in jokes and having a laugh on the yeah. bus. Yeah. Like we'd be together in our little group, you know, just getting stoned or whatever we were doing, mm. just quite insular. And then it became gig time. We'd go and do the gig and then we'd go off and do our kind of own thing again. Yeah. We weren't going out and, you know, there's, there's reasons for that, but it was very insular and we just had a really good laugh like <laughs> that's what the early days are for me and really like at the heart of that it's kids being allowed to go out yeah. like yeah kids, right kids look on a bus and being like do what you want yeah exactly and, Kid, kids being given a bit of power yeah yeah and just going out and i don't know just watching watching tv watching films joking around with each other mm. Mm. 
Like being up bus, yeah. like being, like I've said a few times, one of my fondest, earliest memories is seeing the... Because you have to understand, like, our first tours, it was just... We were we were sat on the bus outside having a joint or whatever, and there were just queues of people outside, you know what I mean? You're like, wow, look at all these people. And then inevitably, you know, we'd have something like Prodigy on, and we'd just start... We'd turn it up full blast and start rocking bus, do you know what I mean? And all, everyone just looking at bus. Do you know what I mean? Just stupid, childish stuff like that that just we just took so much amusement from. And and like, uh, where was it where Rob snuck on stage with Gaffer Beard on and nearly caused a riot? Do you know what I mean? Stuff like, although that was a bit late. Was that on the Vines tour, that? That was Vines, yeah. <laughs> I think, like, the, the, the difficult thing is, like, these, the, the stories that we've got are so boring. Like, they're, they're, they're not that interesting to anybody. But it was the time of our lives. Like, yeah. we had such a good time. But for it to be an anecdote for me to tell you, it's I understand. You're just going to stare at me blankly if I tell you some of the stuff we got. <laughs> oh, well, I, yeah, I suppose it, it all depends how you tell it. But that you're right, you know what I mean? A lot of our fondest memories will just be some of the most childish sort of immature stuff you can imagine because i mean i suppose what's interesting as well is like phil says it was insular we had that gang mentality um you know that was nurtured that gang mentality phil, uh, tim tim nurtured that but i suppose what's really interesting is at the core of it really you know there was some quite strong personalities us four really and i don't you know not that this is something i wanted i want to dwell on a lot but i'm interested in how this drove our banter in the you know we didn't all get on massively well separately when we were younger did we do you know what i mean in terms of oh, no. yeah I, you know we were all each one of us was sort of quite um well dif- difficult in their own way you know everyone brought not a problem but you know everyone obviously had their issues and there was never you know we never used to we never used to fight we rarely rarely ever had disagreements and i wonder if a lot of that was we sort of we nurtured that banter mentality and let's be honest as well especially in the early days like rob's just magnetism and how funny he was and like the banter and stuff like that that was kind of that was like the glue I think that held us together as people was like, so, you know, your relationship with Rob um, and then my relationship with Rob and then Stu's relationship with me and Rob, do you know what I mean? And sort of how that worked separately to not only work musically, but for us to get through spending so much time with each other at such a young age, at such a, you know, a difficult time in a lot of our lives, really, with, you know, the stuff that were going, other than the band, do you know what I mean? Um, there was other stuff going on, and I think that, I don't know, I, I, I suppose it's just, it's fascinating at a human level how you can be four people who probably wouldn't really necessarily look to get on in different circumstances, but brought together by this sort of, um, well, whatever we were doing, do you know what I mean? Whatever you want to refer to it, this love. Because I, sp- I suppose that's what we fell in love with, especially when we started getting the freedom of a deal and a bit of money. We fell in love with the ability to just, um, that creative freedom, don't you think? Do you know what I mean? Especially when we had our own practice room. Yeah, completely. And I, I think like you, you're, you're hitting something that's really important there. You, you sort of hinted at it earlier when we were talking about writing and nobody even offering a suggestion to each other. Yeah. It's probably fear that was driving that, yeah, yeah. that we, mm-hmm. like, you probably felt like if you'd have told me, try a drum beat like this, mm. I'd have just been straight up, fuck off, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's probably some truth to that in all honesty. Mm. And I, it probably would have been the same for all of us. And it would have felt like any approach at that would have probably caused an argument. We didn't argue. You know, like we had a coming together now and again, but about nothing serious. We never really came to blows about anything music based. No. No, I mean, that, I'm cutting in with another one of my memories, but do you remember in Japan when we were having some, you know, 
some throwaway theological discussion in a bar and it turned it didn't get nasty but we know there were some raised voices or whatever and the japanese uh, record label people were really worried thinking we were splitting up weren't they? because we were having this little discussion at the table <laughs> yeah i mean me and you are strong personalities you know we've always sort of clashed to a certain degree mm. um and not always you know nowadays it's it's different yeah totally but, like we we were you know you my gang you know and I think we all felt that way like we were so close but we weren't really that close friends mm. outside of the band we weren't hanging out together really mm. yeah and we were spending a lot of time together and having a laugh together but there was just another level that wasn't really there mm. maybe it wouldn't have worked if we had that level there but it was I don't know there was, there was something interesting going on there yeah yeah speaking of that you uh so you you and uh you're with uh on twitter uh organized jenny so uh how, how early did you guys start um you know dating Was were you guys dating before the music uh after and I, I know she toured with you guys sometimes i'm wondering how that dynamic played in with it um yeah so sh- we got together pretty early on like it, we weren't together from the start but we've known each of us since we were like 12 or 13 something like that Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, it was quite early on. It was, um, yeah. And you started bringing it down the studio, and we were like, oh, you're just mates. And then after a while, we were like, you're still just mates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that that was sort of a brilliant part of it for me as well, because um, I was actually, I was quite socially awkward at that age anyway. So, like, especially when we got the studio, I just remember we go down there and, you know, Phil will come down and they bring Jenny organized and then you know you bring like 10 other people as well do you know what I mean like granddad or someone like that or Sush and just loads of people who you just like just mental characters who just really added to what we were about at that time and literally Pete we'd be in this practice room or you know Phil sat at his kit us, us lot stood up doing stuff and then there'd just be a sea of people sat on floor do you know what I mean everyone <laughs> having a joint or whatever and we'd just be making this stuff up in front of people I, I loved that um but yeah I mean Jenny Jenny was there certainly early doors from what I remember definitely yeah it felt like the thing to do to be honest like growing up like because I'd just play in my garage and everybody would come around and like all my friends were kind of musicians and we'd all interchange and we'd all just be sat around it felt like what you did when you were like practicing was just to have people around and sort of feed off of them um, yeah. and I didn't really think about the what that did to the dynamic it probably helped us to be honest but yeah. it was just a thing that I did and didn't really think about it um maybe we should reintroduce it maybe we should get in touch with attention <laughs> invite him down to one of these rehearsals <laughs> well like you say it sort of gives you I mean we were making stuff up so it gives you um it gives you an audience, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? It gives you like an audience. And I think I remember saying it in a YouTube video myself. You'd be playing stuff and you could almost just look down and think, yeah, are people bored? Are they vibing on this? Do you know what I mean? And that that can sort of be, so I suppose like a football match where having your fans cheering you on. Not that they were sat yeah. there cheering us on, but you know, when you can see someone's body language that they're into what you're doing. It just all played into the sort of dynamic. Do you know what I mean? And like um, it made for extra members for hide and seek as well, having those people there. <laughs> yeah and i think what it drove for me was that competition again like i'm gonna show you how good i am or we're all gonna show you how good we are and we're gonna win you over even if you sat there bored i'm gonna win you over you know you you spoke about it in a previous podcast i listened to about you know focusing on somebody in the crowd especially when we're supporting yeah and winning them over like that was a huge part of it for me as well i would just stare at somebody who i knew wasn't into it and i was like i'm just gonna do this until i get you 
<laughs> wow. That's really cool. Yeah. As someone who was on the other side of the world and just listening, I, I remember thinking to myself, man, it would be amazing to hear these guys practice like before they made this album. And so to all those people that got that opportunity, I hate all of you. Because... <laughs> well, I mean, Pete, you know, if I have got all those dats, I mean, as I say, we used to have a dat player set up with just one microphone going and I have actually still got them. I have no dat player, but I'm sure I can probably source that <laughs> player but i'm i'm telling you like i mean there'll be some really interesting cool stuff on there but my god that like sometimes they'll probably be like a two and a half hour song that ain't even really very good do you know what i mean like <laughs> or like uh somewhat like e you know we did this like track um ended up calling it e because of how nuts it was and like i were on like a trumpet or something one i feel i found a trumpet in storeroom oh just my there was a, a, a trombone that was lying around oh, was it? it was like literally like off peep show where jeremy tries to get involved in the jam do you know what i mean and uh, hans is like uh, jeremy can you stop jamming please <laughs> okay i'm glad you brought that up All right, th- I, we're gonna go off of, off the rails here but that episode when he's jamming with yep. them yep that song that they were playing when they were jamming yep. if you play it back and i'll i'll insert it into the podcast so you know what i'm talking about but okay how come Denton got the bongos? It's not fair. Anyone can bang shit. Give a chimpanzee a double espresso and you got yourself a drummer. Got to enter the jam. Well, that was a disaster. But can't back down now. Jez, mate, can you stop jamming? You, you can't stop someone from jamming. That's against jam law. Dude, that's not jam. That's just total fucking marmalade. That sounds like getaway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like, the, 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 that song literally sounds like the doom, 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 doom. You know, it's almost, I'm like, I wonder if, I know, I know Adam's a peep show fan. I wonder if that was like an inspiration for Getaway. <laughs> no, not really. No, I mean, where was Peep Show anyway? I can't even remember when Peep Show started. Was it sort of 2001, too? I can't remember, yeah, but. I mean, I, I've, it's one of my, you know, it's one of my favorite things ever is Peep Show, I have to say. And that episode is brilliant. And anything, it's weird. And I don't know if it's the same for Phil. But like when anyone does like any kind of parody of being in a band like that, a lot of the time it's too close to home. Do you know what I mean? And it, it sort of <laughs> makes you like, I, honestly, like I watched, Sp- I think I watched Spinal Tap before I were in a band and like forgot all about it. But after being in a band for quite a few years and then watching something like Spinal Tap, I don't know, it just makes you sit there with your head in your hands because you're like, oh, I can't deny it. There's an element of all that in how I've behaved. Do you know what I mean? And it's a terrible sobering moment when you see like genuine comedians doing, effectively taking the piss out of you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're just like, oh God, I'll never look at myself in the same way again. And I've always loved Peep Show for that, like the, for the musical element. Do you know what I mean? Like all the oh, yeah. Different names they have for the bands and stuff, and the arguments they have about it, and especially it feel you know when they split up and Jeremy turns around and says we can't split up, you know we haven't paid off the funny computer thing that we don't know how to work. Do you know what I mean? That <laughs> that would just like the story of our you know musical use with that. We're going oh yeah, let's buy that, and I've done it. Re- I, you know I did it uh, before I sort of stopped ten years ago. I bought a two grand blooming um, posh synthesizer. No idea how to use it. Do you know. <laughs> you know I don't know anyway, but yeah, I suppose it's a funny tangent, but I love Pete Show. That's but, funny. Um, is it the same for you, Phil, though, when you see stuff like Spinal Tap and anything parodied like that? Do you not have an element of, oh, God, did I look like that once? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I definitely know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, 
I kind of feel like I own the ridiculousness of it now. It doesn't sort of embarrass <laughs> me, but oh, it's the final tap's painfully true with a lot of stuff. It is, yeah. Well, yeah, you've, uh, and that's a really good transition because you're obviously doing different things now. So after the music, uh, I saw online that you actually played with another band first, but I know you're not in music now. So I'm curious first uh, what you did after the music. And then after that, like, you know, what made you pivot outside of music in general and into something, you know, more professional, if you will? Sure. And can I just say that that's the kind of legitimacy professionalism that is brought to this podcast? So, yeah, so I, I went and I, I didn't know what I was going to do after the band, to be honest. Um, I kind of wanted to stay in music, but I didn't feel like, you know, I could go into any other route. And um, just the opportunity came up to play with a, a band called Theme Park. Um, so I had just the same manager as us, Tony Perrin, and he needed a drummer for them. And I was going to be unemployed. And he said, do you want to do you want to play drums for them? So they came down to our last ever London show and watched me play. We met and I went off and toured with them for a couple of years. Oh, wow. And a couple of years. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. Like genuinely needed that experience in my life. Um, Because I'm not speaking out of turn here, but when the music, the last few years of the music and touring, like it was a hard slog, Mm. you know, we'd kind of, well, I I don't know about you, Adam, but I'd kind of fallen out of love of music Mm. and it was becoming difficult. And like in between tours, it was having to think about how do we write the next song and like Mm. relentless, whereas going out with Theme Park, like they're such fun guys they had this real like the for life and we we went out and had fun essentially you know i'd go out on the night after we'd do the gig it'd be a good laugh and then we'd go out and have a good night out and they just had a real enjoyment of life and loved music and that was kind of lacking from the music at the end of the, the, the career yeah. so it just got yeah. me back into enjoying touring enjoying enjoying playing gigs and enjoying just having fun essentially what do you think it was about the music that it stopped being fun was it the pressure because i know you guys started to get a lot bigger and there was a lot more pressure to keep up with these amazing albums that you made or what what do you think was different or was it just exhausting being for so long i'm curious what the difference was well really like the main difference touring with them was um going out and having a laugh like everybody liking each other and having a good sort of atmosphere around and then wanting to hang out together and go out dancing stuff like that like it's it's quite simple like that like the music were not a band that played a gig and then went out to a club and had a dance Mm. and i really like doing that but you know the rest of them aren't really into that and so sort of towards Mm. the end and then just having people saying like we're going out or, you know, we'd go to a city and they, in between sound check or whatever it is, we'd go to a gallery or we'd go for a walk around the city. Mm. Oh, nice. Whereas nice. The, the music, there was none of that, really. Oh. <laughs> we've been to cities and we've seen nothing. Like, I really regret that. But having that experience with Theme Park and wanting to make the most of that time in those cities and around the world, like, I just needed that. I just, like, was it just breathe some life back into me from it. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. Different personalities, different styles. And then uh, I'm glad you had that opportunity with a different band. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, Phil's right. And, you know, and it's something I've talked about a lot, sort of. Well, I've actually glossed over it, really, uh, rather than getting too in-depth. But the later years, as Phil say, you know, th- there were no picnic, you know, not to put it too lightly in terms of... And a lot of it, you know, was down to uh, exhaustion and 
and being jaded and sort of you know life exhaustion more than anything and you know we 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 lived what we knew and we knew what we lived if you know what i mean so you know that sort of insular mentality we had and you know don't get us don't get either of us wrong like it's the first three maybe five years were just all you know just balls to the wall fun do you know and i think we despite any problems we had personally we created a great vibe and got through it but there's no doubt it did take a turn where it, be, it became you know it became work we were jaded it wasn't as much fun and i can sort of see what phil will have got got from that because uh, it's something i haven't got to do um necessarily obviously when the music finished um you know for me musically and in terms of like any, any kind of traveling or going out or anything like that you know it's not something i've ever done since and there's certainly an element of me that i won't say necessarily jealous but um it might have been nice to be out in that band environment without the inevitable forward thinking pressure of uh, you know how do we make this work in a in this climate of you know dwindling profits in music and all that stuff when record executives are you know dropping bands and all that sort of stuff anyway it, it, i can imagine and as you say phil it must have been interesting to be in that band dynamic without all that bullshit to be quite frank yeah i mean there's, there's two reasons for that like one is like with the music i never hated playing live like the actual gig like i never got that experience you know i don't get that experience with i didn't get it with theme park or i played with woman's hour as well like i don't yeah. get that same thing like and i never will get that again like that gig that we play together always loved unless there was some technological problem and yeah. i got mardi and had a bit of a strop <laughs> if it, it always appreciated playing those gigs it was everything in between like mm. that's what an hour and a half a day it was everything in between that became difficult. You know, mm. there's only so much I could take of sitting around in a, like locker room yeah. Yeah, with yeah. everybody getting high and the same sort of jokes. You know, I just wanted something different, I guess, from the in-between experience. But there's also in-between tours, like I say, you know, we had to do writing, we had to do press and all that kind of stuff. With Theme Park, the tour ended. I went home and I could relax. Yeah. Didn't have to think about any of that. Like, mm. we had to do rehearsals and... I've never done rehearsals like that in my life. Like as the music, we're pretty lax with rehearsals. Yeah. <laughs> Theme park was really regimented, like rattle through, play lots and lots. I had to be in good shape to play with them, even though it wasn't as physical. Mm. Oh, but wow. it was a good time with them. That's what I needed. But it gave me that time in between tours. And that's where I started to look at actually what am I going to do? And that's why I started doing night courses in between in, in between the tours. Mm. Yeah, and you also mentioned Woman's Hour. That's a. I think I read that. Uh, I think I may have even seen a video uh, where you, you weren't playing drums though. You were. De- it was like you were doing more like. Uh, was it DJing or were you just? Was it more electronic? I was playing drums. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I played my proper drums, but there was few more electronic samples in there, I guess. But yeah, it was more. Yeah, I was playing drums for them. I didn't even okay. know. I didn't even know you played with Woman's Hour. I didn't even know that. Was that after Theme Park <laughs> then? Yeah. Yes, uh, I did a couple of years with Theme Park and then a couple of years with Woman's Hour. Oh, did you do years? Well, the next thing you did is I'm more interested into is really honestly is the, the fact that you pivoted to counseling. Because uh, I personally, myself, I, I go to therapy all the time and I love it. <laughs> I think everybody <laughs> should have some level of counseling and therapy. I, I, there's no stigma for me. I think it's really powerful. But I'm curious what interested you into the field of counseling. Um, I also agree. I think everybody would benefit from therapy and counseling um so part of it was that in between tours i was bored but also this looming thing about what do i do after i stopped playing music because i couldn't play drums forever 
I knew that that was like there was a hard stop coming like my body was giving way dropped out of college to be in the music so it's not like I had loads of qualifications so I was having sort of a bit of a crisis about what do I do um and, and genuinely like a few years before that maybe even like eight or nine years Adam had just said to me in a throwaway comment like you'd make a good counselor hmm. um and I just found a counseling course and just did a six-week course on that um because it was near my house and it, I'm interested in people and I really liked it. And so it was like going back to school. And so I did a woodworking course thinking that it might just be um, something I like edu- you know, going to education. So me and Jen did a woodworking course, which was fun, but it wasn't the same as doing counselling. So I just did another one and then did another one and really enjoyed it. Hmm. I didn't know about the woodwork stuff either. Oh, yeah, I've got two tables in the house. So you've been made. Oh, you might have shown me them actually. You, oh, you might have told me about that. I'm not sure. How about how about the bigger revelation that you actually inspired him into becoming a counselor? That's awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, um, again, it's not something I'm going to get into a lot now, really. But I don't know. I think Phil. Again, it's difficult, really, to to sort of segue into it without sort of talking too contextually, really. But the long and short of it is. Phil listened to a lot of my uh, ramblings, rantings, whatever you want to call it. Because it's one thing to spew this bile into the ear of everyone else that you know, who's never been anywhere near anything. But to talk about things that you feel deeply about with someone who experienced it with you, that's a you know that's an entirely different thing. So I think that's probably what prompted me to make the comment mid whatever I was saying was the fact that there's nothing worse than trying to talk to someone about something that impacts you. And being able to read their body language is jaded. Do you know what I mean? Or like they're putting up with you. Do you know what I mean? Or like they don't have the level of uh, sort of understanding to appreciate just what you're saying, whereas Phil did. So, you know, like I, I respect Phil a lot. and I, I look up to him in some ways in the sense of being able to walk away from what we did and then sort of think logically enough to to go into something else. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, if I played even a tiny part in in that then you know that's an awesome thing because i think it's brilliant what you're doing now um and obviously you know these uh that sort of thing has played a more of a role in my life and you know y- you've helped me a lot and um yeah i think that's what prompted me to to actually say that thanks i mean that's really nice to hear um yeah i mean you know we saw him earlier but i don't our dynamic changed quite a lot um after the band you know we've got a lot closer and there were some conversations like that I think you're onto something as well with that sort of shared experience that I kind of know what you're talking about you know I never know what you're on about but I've got a similar experience yeah. and that's you know because that's when I work with musicians because I do counsel musicians as well a lot oh, nice. of why they come to me is because a lot of people just don't get what it's like to be a musician and the kind of pressures that you have yeah. on you from that and so I think they want that sort of shared experience. Yeah, for sure. I can see you being more empathetic towards somebody who's experienced that. You know, I could see if I was sharing something, you know, from a professional as a musician, I, you know, and somebody who was a musician, I, I would imagine they would be able to, you know, show more empathy than someone who wasn't maybe because it's hard to understand what that life is like. Yeah. It certainly played a role for me, did that. So then you start going into counseling and you hear that, uh, hey, the music's going to get back together and do a gig in Temple Newsome. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so warm up your drums. <laughs> How'd you feel about that? Well, I'm delighted that we're doing the gig. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie, I had reservations about it. I, m- my main worry at first, I think, was tarnishing what we had. Yeah. 
Like if we were to come back and do something half-assed, uh, it would just ruin it for me. I just mm. like, you know, when I talk about me wanting to get out of the industry, I just, there's something in me that just can't be one of those bands that just keeps touring and touring and touring. Mm. I'm going to pick the Rolling Stones. Obviously, I'd love to sure. be the Rolling Stones, and I probably <laughs> would still do it if I was their age. And <laughs> But they're an easy target to sort of get on what I'm getting at. Like you look at them and you think, just go to bed. (laughs) Enjoy your money and just relax. Go to bed. What an insult that is, go to bed. Sorry, carry on. It's, I just, I don't know. It's really unfair of me, but I just feel it's a little bit tragic to watch somebody get old because music is so often a young man's game. Our music is a young man's like music that we play. Yeah. If we were playing our songs at 60, it would look awful. Mm. And I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I, I'd be worried about how that would look as us as a band. Like we're getting to that stage now where we look a little bit old to get on stage no, and do no. our songs. <laughs> you're still, you're still the pretty boy of the group. We all know that. You've still got all your hair. Oh, come on. God. Anyway, carry on. I, I've, I've definitely got the hair of the band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like that, that was my hesitation. Like, would it just look tragic as being on stage? Can we still do it? Physically, can I still do it? Mm. Um, that was my first, like, are we able to do that? And also, like, I was keen on us getting in a room and being like, how much work is this going to be? Because like, I, yeah. I'm working nearly six day weeks at the moment. And to fit rehearsals and a gig around that ain't the easiest thing to do. And mm. um, plus, I've got to get fit and remember everything. Like, and I was just worried that it would be too much thankfully we did that like we got together and we saw okay well this isn't going to be the six months of rehearsal that i thought it might be mm. so I, I was on board then there's obviously like you know we spoke about the interpersonal stuff like i for me i've told you i like to have fun and i wanted the gig to be fun i wanted us all to be able to get on stage and enjoy each other's company and enjoy the rehearsals and stuff like that i couldn't do it if there was any of the like whatever was left over from the band splitting up mm. if any of that was still there i just i don't know i didn't feel like i had time for it i just feel mm. like I, my life had moved on and i had other stuff to do and if it was going to bring some of the old complications in i, I wasn't that keen on bringing it into my life to be honest no, it's, i um, think that's fair it is it's massively fair it's massively fair and you know let's not you know again not wanting to talk about it too much but when me and phil were both sort of sort of slightly hesitant about like he says letting things back into his life that you know could throw us off track really do you know what i mean because when you i don't know when you try and rebuild yourself and you know something sort of climbs out of its own grave do you know what i mean and sort of creeps up behind you you're like oh god do you know what i mean it's a, it's a strange feeling no one likes that so yeah it, it took me like you say it took, took me a little bit to to be comfortable with it certainly but i mean obviously since the listening part and seeing that I, I mean phil how much of how much did that sort of playing to your thinking or appreciation of what we might be going to do do you know what i mean in terms of the level of um reaction and the listening party specifically um massively so like i've always kind of felt like we had a bit of a cult following but this is you never really know how many fans you've got exactly um, you know it's difficult to go on album sales or gig sales or spotify or whatever it is like it's really tough to get a measure of that like the thing the other day about like us being one of the most popular listening parties that blows my mind. Mm. <laughs> I don't think we should have been anywhere near that top 10. Like the company we're keeping apart from maybe MGMT, I think they're probably lucky as well. But <laughs> like th- that top 10 was weird for us to be in there. Yeah. And in my mind anyway, I just, I don't see how 
big we are so to, to get that reception you know and it was just lovely it was lovely to share that experience with everybody that's really interesting to hear because i could not disagree with you more about that <laughs> yeah i mean my musical taste is wide and i listen to a lot of bands and uh, i'm pretty objective and yeah i, I uh yeah i definitely high, hold you guys in a pretty high regard you know i'm, I'm not just a yeah. one band guy. yeah well, I, I, I mean, a lot of music we, you guys are you guys rightfully own yeah, probably a higher place in that in that t- poll in my opinion well i think we all we've always had a tray of i don't know about playing i think to be honest there was so much hype around us when we, when we were younger you know what i mean i don't know if there was an element of sort of trying to play that down do you know what i mean because i think we, I, I certainly felt invincible on stage do you know what i mean in, in terms of playing the songs do you know what i mean felt totally invincible i think we all tried to play ourselves that well i think we're humble kids uh, and we were humble kids then and you know i think we're you know we're humble people now so do you know what i mean like it just feels alien doesn't it to sit there and just go oh yeah we're absolute bombers do you know what i mean like i don't think we ever had that swagger we, we had swagger but it was Sort of like internal, um, I don't know how to describe it really. Like, I don't think we were ever cool. It was like never cool other than the fact we just did whatever we wanted to do. That was sort of what made us different and what made us cool. You know, we never had, we never really had an image or anything like that. But there's no doubt anyway that for me as well, sort of speaking just personally, Phil said it himself, but to see even that level of reaction, even like, you know, hundreds of likes coming in on the post and then like sort of thousands of likes, you're like, oh my God, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's it's not the biggest thing in the world, but sort of for someone who were in that band, it kind of feels like it is to me. Do you know what I mean? Sort of to have that part of your childhood or your life sort of ratified like that. Do you know what I mean? And um, to know that it still plays well. To be frank, it still plays quite a big role in people's lives. Do you know what I mean? Because like you say, our the, the hardcore of our cult following, you can't take that away from them. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a big part of the lives and I'm sure you've had it as well. And I've had countless, countless messages of people saying, you know, I just want to stop and say thanks for, you know, playing such a big role in, in my life. But, you know, I think especially early on, we were just part of like, um, we were part of what everyone else was. You know, we looked like the people in the audience in terms of how they were dressed and that, do you know what I mean? We were just one of everyone else. And that probably might be another element of sort of playing down what we were or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's complicated. Like when we were younger, we were really humble, like, but also thought we were the greatest thing, like thought we were the greatest band. You know, a lot of early on for us was utter cynicism. Like every band that was around at the same time was shit. Yeah. Like everything <laughs> that came out was just shit and we're better yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. That's like, whether it was true or not, that was just our default saying. It was. Like, you know, uh, I mean, some of the big bands that came out around that time, you know, the Strokes, the Libertines, they came just after us. Mm. Our instant reaction was, they're shit. Yeah. We're doing something better than them. Yeah. Like, we're so wrong. Like, I can look back and I can see that, you know, that they're good bands. But it's part, but that, of, that, it's part of our mentality. That was our gang mentality. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, I don't know about you, but part of me was like, I think we're the greatest band. And then whenever anybody came up to me and said, you're the greatest band, I'd think, what's wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, but exactly. But that, I suppose that's like, it shows you like how the psyche works, I guess, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of people have said to me recently, asked me on podcast, you know, talk about talk about the bands you liked at that point. And do you know what I mean? And I've flat turned around to some of them and just gone, look, if you want in my band, you were competition. If you want in our band, every other band at that time was competition. That's how I saw them. I didn't see them as enriching the cultural landscape or anything else. I used to listen to the tunes and after a few seconds, I'd go, nah, oh shit, we need to worry about these. <laughs> we need to watch these. These are good. Do you know what I mean? 
Like, yeah. and, I, and I suppose being in a band stripped something from me in terms of sort of like an objective appreciation um, of music, really. You know, there was such a, you know, if I ever heard anything great, I was just like, bastard, you know what I mean? Why didn't we come up with that? You know what I mean? Rather than just sitting back and going, oh, that is great, man. It's like, there'd always be an element of um, like, um, almost like, a, almost like a, a mild rage, you know what I mean? Sort of really annoyed at the fact that, something else was coming up that had a groundswell because that's obviously what we had. We had like this massive groundswell of just, you know, and, and, you know, we'd done a lot, we'd done a lot of gigs before anything were released. And that was something that Tim and, you know, Jeff and Tony did that were very clever was making sure we'd done those gigs and built up that core footfall of people who were coming through that door and getting piss wet through with sweat. Do you know what I mean? And going absolutely nuts for an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember early on, um, when Tim signed the streets and he brought the demo of let's put, let's push things forward and he played it to us and we ripped into it. Like we ripped into him. We ripped into it. Like, because that was our default response to anything new. This is awful. I've never been so wrong about it. Like he he sent me the album after that. And I listened to that, like even the opening track of that, like that is such an incredible album, that streets album. But because of our banter and our instant reaction to anything new, that's, we savaged him. Like, I feel bad about that. <laughs> well, That's interesting. Um, yeah, it just it just goes to show our mentality. Well, Phil, man, this has been really enlightening. It's been great talking to you, and uh, I am definitely looking forward to. I had a, I've said this before, but uh, it was sad to see the hear that you guys weren't making any more music. And uh, I remember telling some of my friends that were fans as well, like, man, if these guys ever show their faces again and and have a show, I don't care where it is, we're going. So, uh, and yeah, and then I I heard you guys are going to Temple Newsome, so I will uh, I'll be there, and uh, hopefully uh. Hopefully I can get to meet you there and say hi to you. It's been a great chatting with you. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm sure we will meet when you come over to Temple Newsom. I can't see you coming over and us ignoring you. <laughs> oh, I, I might you. just to annoy him. <laughs> I might schedule a counseling session with you, to be honest. <laughs> I do, I do I remote need... counseling, just so you know. Ah, good to know. Good to know. Oh, it cracks me up. Um, yeah, so I guess we should leave it about there, really. Um, you know... I don't know. I, I'm always a little bit. I'm always a little bit nervous myself doing these. Like I don't know, you know, sort of where it's going to go and that. But you know, they never fail to sort of. I don't know. I just. I really enjoyed tonight, and I think it's been really interesting. I think talking to Phil, he's had some really fascinating stuff to say. Um, actually, said some stuff that I didn't know he'd even done. Do you know what I mean? So we learn everything every day. It's something every day. Um, but yeah. So I just wanted to say another thank you to Phil. Um, obviously for coming on and for all sorts of stuff really. But you know, Phil. Phil knows what it means to me really, and I hope as well that he's enjoyed it enough that he'll come on again and just you know talk about memories or what else we whatever else we dream up to talk about. So yeah. Thank you uh, very much, Phil, for your time. As always, it's been lovely to talk to you. And yeah, man, um, hopefully we can do this again. So yeah, um, thank you everyone who's listening to these podcasts and I hope you enjoy listening to Phil as much as me and Pete have tonight. So yeah, thanks all for listening. Bye.